as a chaplain with the uh, Maple Shade Fire Department, um, <clears throat> I get email alerts uh, to fire calls. <clears throat> when I began way back with them, we, I had a pager, and that didn't last long, getting that thing going off at 3 a.m. Tom, some of you guys have been experienced firefighters, and <clears throat> wakes you up out of your sleep, and it's... It, it, sometimes it's just because people are smelling a skunk and they think they're smelling gas and that, that, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but I usually, when I get the alert, I'll look to see what is it going to say. It may say wires. It may be, you know, a car accident. But, but if it says structure fire, gets my attention. Okay, could be a house, could be a building, still could be nothing. So I wait for the follow-up email alerts. And sometimes the follow-up email alerts will say, you know, Give an officer's badge number on scene, nothing showing. All right. Sometimes it'll say units on scene report that it's a dryer vent, just, just exhausting out into the cold air and it looks like smoke and people think it's on fire. It'll say, you know, reduce speed, right? For all the firefighters on their way there, slow down. Don't have an accident, you know, to reduce speed, right? Sometimes it might say nothing visible, Smoke coming from suspicious activity in apartment 7B, right? If you're in 7B, I just made that up. That wasn't, I'm not coming at you, right? But what gets my attention is when the follow-up alerts say active fire, visible flames. And it'll be followed usually with this. All companies in service. All companies in service. And, and for, for, fi for the firefighters, which I'm not, for them, that is, you know, the, the, the adrenaline gets going because what, we don't know what it is we're going to be called to do. We may not be the people who are the first ones there who get to, go, you know, but, but we may be the support team or the writ team or the support writ team or the ladder truck or, or maybe we're just supposed to stage here or there and all the commands start going out. And the point is that not everybody is doing the same thing, but all companies in service, right, to get this done. Last few weeks, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul, Saul, be his life, right? And we saw his conversion. We saw him as a witness, a new witness. We saw him last week, right, being molded by God, uh, you know, alone, surrounded, and unseen. Today, we're going to see Paul as what? The co-worker, Today what happens is in Scripture is that Barnabas comes to Paul's house and he says, we have a church on fire in Antioch, all companies in service. And uh, I hope that it can just reach us wherever, whatever part of our life God wants to reach us in today. So let's pray. Father, you know my human weakness. You know that the power and the strength in this moment is in your word and your Holy Spirit using anything I say to help your word land effectively. And so I ask for that, Lord. I stumble, I fumble, I fail. But Lord, I pray that you would use the words of my mouth to point to the power of your word today. In the name of Jesus, amen. We want to look today and see the scene, the cast, the conclusion, and we begin with the scene. Now, we're in Acts chapter 11, but if you're, if, you know, depending on what kind of media you're using, if you're holding the Bible, stick something in there, you know, and, uh, and you can turn back to Acts chapter 2 because the scene really begins in Acts chapter 2. 
For in Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and he lights a new fire. He lights the fire of what? The church of Jesus Christ, right? That are going to go forward now as his new body. And, and, and pretty soon at the end of that, you know, that day, Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. 3,000. And that's fascinating because in Acts chapter 1, as Peter's speaking to the followers of Jesus, not that it's all of them, but there's only 120 of them in the, in, in, in the gathering place. Now, 3,000 are added in one day. After Peter's second sermon, the church has grown to 5,000 people. Whew. And so, so what's happening? Well, they're getting arrested now, and they're getting persecuted because the church has taken off, and it's spreading, and Saul's coming after them. And then Saul, the great persecutor of the church, meets Jesus in a vision, the resurrected Christ. He gets saved. And the fire is spreading. It's spreading among the Jews, and now it gets to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 11, right, and 10, you know, Peter with Cornelius and some of his, but Acts chapter 11, we see what will be the first Gentile church, right? But in Acts 11 and verse 19, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. This is exciting. Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So last week, if you were here with us, we were talking about if Maple Shade were Jerusalem, you know, Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee up there, that would be like us going to Newark. Uh, it doesn't quite look the same, but, that, you know, it, it would be about that distance, right? And then when, when Paul went, took that trip, saw, and then went after the Christians in Damascus, we said that'd be like going off through New York City to basically the border of New York and Connecticut, right? Well, if we kind of stick with that picture, if Maple Shade was Jerusalem, Antioch is up at Lake George, New York, if any of you have a vacation there. That's about the, where it is compared to Jerusalem. And the gospel has reached there. How? Through persecution, it said. It said some of those people that were there when Stephen was martyred and killed for his faith in Christ, it caused them to do what? To, to take off and go share the gospel. And it gets to that place. It's, it's this, a, a thrilling time that God is working. I remember when I was a new believer, uh, I, you know, uh, I was, you know, I, I, you know still, uh, I, I'm not sure if, 
if it was when I was across the street here or if it was at Maple Shade High School, but I remember that early in my salvation as a teenager, my parents bringing home the, the Gaither Hallelujah Praise Gathering album. And sometimes I was inviting my friends out to youth group, you know, and, and some of them were, yeah, yeah, what are we doing here? Come on, let's get this. Uh, what are you doing here? What? And, 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 you know, I, I was emotional and I got, got home discouraged. And, but I put those giant earphones on, plugged them into the, the uh, and just listened to, it's the first time I ever heard the song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. And there are testimonies of the woman at the well and what Jesus offered to her new life. And the blind man says, I was blind, now I see. And Jesus changing lives. And then Doug Oldham would sing, you know, I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. And I used to love it. He, you know why I believe, friend? Because he changed me completely. I have it memorized, I think, right? And then and to the end, there was a song. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. By the time I took those earphones off, yeah, right? Let me, let me go, you know, try and tell one of my friends about Jesus again, right? But that's, that's the kind of time we have happening here. One writer says, revival continued to move across the islands of the eastern Mediterranean. By the time this sweeping demonstration of grace reached Antioch, it was downright electric, it's electric, he says. You know what he's saying there? You can't explain it, right? The gospel's going left, it's going right, it's going back, it's going forward. What I mean is, it's just, it's just hey, the, get those dancing shoes on and sh go share the good news with somebody. You know, I hope the video didn't get my feet because I got twisted up. I even practiced it a little bit. But, uh, but, no, but, but my point is, this is an exciting time. It's, it's, it's electric. Things are happening. It was exciting. I pray for this in Maple Shade. I pray for it in Morristown, in Cherry Hill, in Pensalk, and in Marlton, and wherever you're from. But, but in our town, I said, Lord, it doesn't have to be me. Nobody has to say it was, you just, who, however many lives you want to do it through, sweep through our town and just cause people to come to Jesus, right? Faith in Jesus. You know, it, it, the thing is, we don't see, at least we haven't, 3,000 people getting saved at the end of, you know, uh, of one of our outreach events or whatever. But don't diminish the exciting fact of what God has done in your life, in you. He reached you, right? We were sitting together Wednesday night. Tom and Erica were talking about their upcoming wedding. And as she's sharing about how she came down, she said, tell me, how, you know, how did you come to Jesus? How do you know? And she's sharing about how her mom, Carol, right, got saved at age 38, and she saw this new life in her mom, and she got saved. Uh, is your mom here, Erica? There you are. There you are, Carol. Okay, good, right? You got saved, and she saw it, and she got saved as a 13-year-old teenager. I, I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to stay in my chair back here. I mean that. It's, a, it's so exciting listening to what God did. I'll hear people say, like, uh, well, my testimony is not very exciting. I got saved as a child. That's thrilling. Do you know what Jesus said? Let the little children come unto me unless you have the faith of a little child. It is thrilling to know that God saved you as a child, even if it didn't become truly something you got excited about 
uh, you know, uh, until as you, as you grew a little bit in life. But it's exciting. That's thrilling. You know, I, I love that our nursery is growing. We got babies being born. And I, I think the other day I was sitting there, you know, kind of stacking them up like flights at an airport, right? Right, Todd, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm looking. And, and I think be, even between now and the middle of the summer, we got another half dozen or so babies coming. And for me, I think of every one of those families, they're all believers. And in my mind, the fire that started at Pentecost is going to reach those little babies through their parents right? That fire, that excitement of what? The gospel. You know, I rejoice. I am thrilled when I hear about someone who is involved in a life of crime and drug addictions and all, and Jesus saves them out of it. Was, I was on one of our, you know, the, the Maple Shade Neighbor Post the other day and talking, and it was friends of mine from high school years ago who I haven't seen in a long, long time. And they were talking about, boy, those years, I almost can't remember them. I, we we kind of wasted 20 years or so with our drinking and, 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 and doing, you know, pot or whatever. And, and, and the one guy says, yeah, I was, I was down that road, and it, Jesus, Jesus brought me home. I was like, oh, I never knew that he had come to a faith in Jesus. But I was so you know, just excited. Those are thrilling testimonies. But I want you to know something. In my heart... I pray that that's not the testimony of my grandchildren. I pray that they don't have to experience the heartache of addiction and broken relationships or, or, or what, what I, that, but listen, if you have, that's God's work in your life. But be excited about what God's doing. When we read this, boy, look what God used to do. No, it's what he's doing. There's a fire going on in Antioch, but it presents a challenge. Kent Hughes in his commentary says, a heavenly vitality now burned in the midst of the materialistic and spiritual darkness of Antioch. In other words, we have a whole bunch of new believers living in a really lousy spiritual environment. And so God does what? I'm going to bring in a cast to help them grow. And we see secondly from the scene to the cast the ones that have been sharing the gospel, they're just going forward, you know, you know hey, we gotta tell you about Jesus, and kind of people are all getting excited, and, and, and they're coming to Christ. God's doing an amazing work, and they need help guiding and encouraging, and so we read in verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas was the kind of guy who did what? When all the other apostles were saying, hey, this Saul, Paul, uh, yeah, uh, let's just keep him at a distance. Barnabas put his arm around him and said, no, let's affirm him and receive him as our brother in Christ. That's why they send someone like him. They send him as a cast member to go do what? Be a co-worker there. And, and he displays uh, together, they display wonderful qualities. The first great quality of a co-worker, of a cast member in, in, in the body of Christ is what? Grace. You have to have it. Otherwise, we just become cold and rigid and, and rule-oriented. The grace that he displays in verse 23, then when he, when Barnabas had come and witnessed the grace of God. It's the first thing he did. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Grace grace, God's grace. So we seek to build lives in Jesus. 
We can never forget that by grace we have been saved through faith. Whether you were an addict in the alley, whether you were a soldier in the foxhole, whether you were a child in children's church, by grace you have been saved. And it's the same grace that we all need, right? The same grace. And that's, that's, that's the exciting part. This group of believers, they are very different than what Barnabas is used to. They don't look, sound, or smell like his church. They just don't. He's come from the Jerusalem church. All of these individuals who know the Old Testament scriptures, they've been raised under the Ten Commandments, all the, and now they understand finally, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. That's what puts all that together. Wow. And he's gone into a church that knows nothing of that kind of stuff, knows none of those truths, right? It is, you know, Antioch was known for business, entertainment, immorality, and pagan religion. Their pagan religion, they had built a giant temple, the Temple of Daphne. And there were a lot of guys who would go to worship there for what reason, right? That pagan religion. Because part of the pagan religion was temple prostitutes. Literally, all day long at the temple, there were acts of immorality being done as a worship to the pagan gods. That's, that's where they're living. That's what these people are getting saved out of. So imagine that that's what you've been doing all the time. And now somebody tells you about Jesus and he sets us free and he'll cleanse you from everything. And, and you, you've come to Jesus, but, but that's the life, right? You've known Chuck Swindoll in his book on, on uh, the Apostle Paul. He, he writes these words. Imagine this happening you know, right? Here, churches are bursting at the seams with new converts, most of whom are former gamblers, prostitutes, criminals, drug addicts, pornographers. The problem is, there are no churches in Antioch, <laughs> right? We just have what? All these new believers needing in-depth instruction in the scriptures, training in righteousness, mentoring, right? There's an ever-increasing number of the new believers that were Gentiles with virtually no exposure to the rich religious heritage of Judaism. They were ignorant of the God of the Bible, but now they have met Jesus, right? What's Barnabas' first response? And that's what I love. It's to rejoice in what God is clearly doing. Verse 23, he witnessed to them, hey, God's grace is being poured out among you. One writer says, when, great, when, when you get excited about God's grace, you know this. You can't stop it because you didn't start it. You can't explain it because you didn't manufacture it. You can't duplicate it because you didn't create it. The point is, it seems pretty clear that when Barnabas arrives, the very first words out of his mouth are not, hey, stop using that kind of language. Hey, you put some more clothes on. Hey, stop smoking that over there. That, that's, the, the, those are not the first words that come out of his mouth. He's there 
to bring that about. What I mean is he's there to bring some growth in their lives and to help them to grow out of the immoral lifestyles. But what does Barnabas go there and say? I want to affirm to you that the grace of God can reach you when you're using that kind of language. The grace of God can reach you when you look like that. The grace of God can reach you when you're smoking that. The grace of God can reach you wherever you are. And that's what's so exciting about it. And for us to remember that, we have no idea where God's fire is going to light up in the midst of some, let it not be an area that we were like, well, God can't do anything there. Don't tell me God can't. People say, you know, they don't allow God here. They don't allow God there. Since when has God gotten permission to go anywhere, right? You can't keep God out of anywhere, he is on the move, and they, and they know. He knows what? That, that, that first great quality, right, of a, of a coworker, of a cast member, is grace. Be gracious. I need your grace extended to me at times. You need grace extended to you. The second quality, you know, we're still under the second point of cast members, but the second quality of a good cast member, of a coworker, is what? Humility. Humility, humility, humility. Barnabas knows he needs a coworker. He knows the cast has to get bigger. He knows, right, that he wasn't sent there to build the basilica to St. Barnabas. He was sent there to build the body of Christ. And he's there, and he realizes that I need a, I need a coworker. When Jesus sent out his disciples to minister, we read, he sent them out in pairs, right? Sent them out in pairs. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, talks about two are better than one. Doesn't mean that, that if, if you're single, well, you're in trouble. It's not saying it has to be a marriage, right? It, it, it may be just having someone in your life that's a dear friend, that's a support, that's an encourager, but they says two are better than one, right? A threefold cord, a three-stranded cord is hard to break. I like the New Living Translation. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There's something about it. That, that, in my mind, that brought up a scene from Last Samurai. You know, and uh, if you've seen that movie, and Algren, he's there, you know, he's now been, you know, he's part of, he's growing and he's learning and he's valuing this samurai community, their leader, Katsumoto, right? And, and at one scene, the, the ninjas come from somewhere and they're trying to, to, to kill him and to wipe, and, and it, it ends up with, with Algren, Tom Cruise and, and Katsumoto back to back, you know, you know, just, just, you know, they defeat the enemy, you know, and, and, and they're in this together. And, that, and that's what Barnabas I need that. You know, we need that. We need one another. And what does he do? We read there in verse uh, 24 that he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Verse 25, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, verse 26. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Barnabas goes 140 miles you know, from uh, Antioch up around the, the northeastern you know, curve of the Mediterranean and across there to get Paul out of Tarsus. He goes personally, knocks on his door. Hey, Paul. 
there's a position in the cast for you, right? Paul, there is a church in Antioch that is on fire. All companies in service. I need you. It's, it's this sense of, it's fantastic to personally recruit. I want to tell you that. There are times we could stand here and, you know, we, we, could, we need workers here or we need help here or whatever, but there is nothing like going to somebody and saying, hey, you know what? I, I serve in the children's ministry on Wednesday nights. You, would you like to come and serve with me? What, really? Me? Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, come on. Join in with me. Hey, hey. You know what? I I, I have a burden. You know. You know. I want to. I don't. I want to start a. You know. A, a, a visitation for for people in the church. Which if you would you be interested in doing that with me? Visiting people in the church. I, when I see people doing that and I hear people doing that, it's like yes, right. That sense of personal recruitment. That's what. That's what Barnabas doesn't send a message. He travels and he goes and knocks on Paul's door. It's important to remember that humility of Barnabas. I don't need them to know. It just doesn't have to be, you know, the church doesn't have to be named after me. I need, I need Paul. I need him. He knows the scriptures even better than I do, right? And remember, while the church has been spreading in the book of Acts, we saw last week that Saul is unseen for eight to ten years in the book of Acts, and now he's going to be seen again. But, but know this, God's seeing Saul. God sees Paul. God's been working on him. God's been humbling him. F.B. Meyer says, grain by grain, Paul's self-reliance is being worn away there in, in Tarsus. You know, Paul will write later to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, some of you know this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he will write to them in verse 7 that what? And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, God gave him a vision, let him see heaven. Hasn't let you see heaven, hasn't let me see heaven, but he let Paul see it, right? Because of that, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. And Paul says, I asked God three times to take it away. Some people believe it's his eyesight. Some people believe it's a physical issue with walking and traveling or writing. Some people believe, I tend to lean more on, you know, that it was something much more, you know, uh, exhausting to him emotionally, you know, consciously, whether it was being haunted by all the Christians that he knew that he had persecuted or whether it was his own struggles with, 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 with you know, stress that he talks about other areas. The point is, he says, three times I asked God to take it away, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. I'm using it. I'm humbling you for service. The fascinating thing about it is he tells us there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2 that what? I know that this happened, what, 14 years ago. If you track from when the Apostle Paul writes 2 Corinthians, and you track back 14 years from when he wrote it, it lands where? During those 8 to 10 years when Paul is unseen in Tarsus. See, nobody sees him, but God does, and God is working. God is humbling him to be what? For that great quality of saying, wherever you want to use me, Lord, wherever. 
I went to, well, I was at my, my junior year at Baptist High, and uh, Mr. Ball was my uh, Bible teacher. He excited me. Pastor Jack Jacobs, I'd go in and talk to him about it, and he was saying, I, you know, you might, you know, I, I think you need to keep looking. The Lord may be calling you to pastoral ministry. I was talking to Pastor Mitchell here, my dad. I, God's calling me to be a pastor. I went to Philadelphia College of Bible for four years. Lord, I studied to be a pastor, a pastoral studies major, graduated, came out of there, right, you know, and, and uh, I worked for uh, recruitment, and I'm regretted I got married. I was working in sales, selling to the construction industry, and selling, you know, plastics for printing, and <clears throat> about five or six years after I graduated, I found myself here saying, Lord, I thought you were calling me to be a pastor, but Lord, that, I want to do whatever you want me to do. So I just want to tell you, thank you that I can teach Sunday school here to the kids. Thank you I was involved with the youth group. Thank you that I can be, you know, leading some of the music and, and, and worship. Lord, you know, if, if that's what you have for me. Now listen, I'm not saying that like, oh, wow, what, what a pat on my back. I'm saying, I can tell you this honestly. I, I was more saying it, Lord, thank you that you would use me as a coworker in your church. As I remember when I became a pastor, someone said to me, God's promoted you to being a pastor. And I said, I, I don't see it as a promotion at all. Wherever God has you serving, that's the highest calling. But all companies in service, right? Be serving someone, whether it's within the, the program ministry or whether it's without in lives that you're touching and reaching, praying for one another, whatever it may be, right? That's the quality they had. The third great quality was they had a shared purpose. Paul and Barnabas, now as the cast members, the co-workers, their shared purpose was what? It's all about making people like, to be like Jesus. That's what it's about. When you got saved, you don't decide what the rest of your life should look like. It should look like Jesus. Little by little, <laughs> little by little, you know, it's, you know, just little by little, and, and eventually when we're with him, right? As a church, when we gather as co-workers, we don't decide, hey, what do we want our church to be known for? It's to be known for Jesus, right? Now, it may be that we're a church that's known in this way of pointing people to Jesus or this way, but it's about Jesus, and that's the great quality that they share together. And when we are people of grace, and when we are people with humble hearts who come together and say, our shared purpose is not our own kingdoms. Our shared purpose is making people grow to be like Jesus. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. Why? Because that's what Jesus told them to do. Paul and Barnabas celebrated the grace of God of these new believers, but they knew we don't just leave them to whatever brand of Christianity they, they want to follow in the midst of this horrible city. They knew Jesus called us to be co-workers to do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples, right? Baptizing them, but doing what? Teaching them to command, teaching them to obey Whatever you feel, they know. Teaching them to obey what I commanded them, Jesus says. And so they went forward knowing what? We go forward as co-workers, not to shape our church the way we want, to point to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They don't get me wrong. Churches are going to look very different. We're going to look different in our worship style. We're going to look different in, in how some of our outreach things or this or that. 
But if it's a church that's following Christ, at the heart of it all better be, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, right? The scene, i got to hurry up here. The fire, the gospel has reached Antioch. Tremendous excitement. The cast, Barnabas and Paul, co-workers to encourage and teach. And then the conclusion. The conclusion isn't that the, the fire goes out. The conclusion I'm talking about is the fruit. What, what it produced. And look at verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I love what a writer says. Amazingly, in this city, with all its sensuality and immorality, that the disciples were called Christians here first. God's light can shine in the darkest pit God's flowers can blossom in the most putrid bog. Even in maple shade. <laughs> Even here, in our midst, right? Seriously, that's our calling. We're to be co-workers together. We're to witness and rejoice over the grace of God in each other's lives. And we're to encourage, we're to teach, we're to strengthen the body. How? However... God allows you. You know, and when Paul writes to the Ephesians, I love Ephesians chapter 4 because he talks about pastors and he says that, that, you know, know, that's the highest calling because you do the work of the church. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says it's one of the callings, one of the many. The highest calling is whatever calling God has called you to. But he says what in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11? He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. See, it's all of us who are the cast, right? To the building up of the body of Christ. I love that it says so so that we're not being tossed about here and there. But look, verse 16 of Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Right? Wherever God has you serve. I, I am constantly aware that right now, there are nursery workers saying, is he almost done? Right? <laughs> no, but what I mean is, they're watching the kids. Do I love little children being in here? Yes. But is it harder sometimes to proclaim the truth when, you know, if, if there were five babies crying? Sure, it, it, it is, right? Well, I thank God there's people in the nursery. I thank God there's people in children's church because they're serving and I would not be able to be effective if they weren't, right? Called together. Whew. That's why our motto is what? Building strong lives in Jesus Christ. Like trees firmly planted by streams of water. Somebody gets saved. Hey, 
We want to celebrate the grace of God in you. And now if we're able, let us help you sink deeper roots. And as your roots go deeper and your branches get stronger and you produce fruit, you're going to drop seeds. And those seeds are going to land in somebody else's life. And now you're going to come around them and go, hey, I want to celebrate the grace of God and what's happening in you. And I want to help you build deeper roots and grow stronger limbs and produce fruit. The fire that God started in Acts chapter 2. Listen, don't worry about what you're hearing on the news. It is still lit. It is still lit. Sometimes it's raging. Sometimes it's smoldering. Sometimes the fire is slowly creeping across the grass. Sometimes you could see the flames for miles. Sometimes it's being stomped out or stalling over here. And just as it is, it's igniting over here, right? But make no mistake, God's fire continues. Hey, all companies in service. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the privilege to be part of this body. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that we celebrate one person standing in our midst today. One. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Give us grace. Give us humility. Give us a shared purpose. In the name of Jesus.